0: I just want to give a quick introduction to Matthew Phipps, who's sitting right over here. He's going to preach for us today. The pastoral shepherds here are recommending him to you for your consideration as our new lead pastor. He has served in uh, Fruitland, Idaho for 10 years, or maybe a little over 10 years, firmly rooted in the restoration movement, which our church is founded on. So, Matthew, come up and tell us a little about yourself and preach to us. (laughs) Well, thank you all so very much. It's a... I think I've shared with, with some people today and even last night meeting with the pastoral shepherds here, uh, it is a bit intimidating to stand in this pulpit. Some of you may know why. Uh, my, family, my family has a strong legacy of Restoration Movement Church. My, many even you know my Uncle Bob Wood and my Grandfather Howard Wood and my Dad Dale Phipps have all been on staff in this church and have probably stood in this pulpit or in other various places in this church. So um, to be counted uh, somewhat worthy even to share this pulpit, even if it was for just today, is trembling. Um, But not just because of that, but more importantly, because of what it is that this pulpit signifies. And to stand and to, to, to declare God's word to you all is a tremendous and terrifying opportunity. <laughs> so um, if you would allow me, I would, I would like to pray for our message before we begin. I know prayer is, has already happened, but I feel that prayer is something we can never do enough of anyway. So um, if you would bow with me in a word of prayer as we begin today. Oh, gracious and heavenly Lord, I just come before you. Um, I ask that you would bless this congregation by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as we draw near to you in this this time of opening your word and declaring its message and its truth in a lost and dying world, God, that it would impact more than just who we are or some form of knowledge that we would carry, but that it would lead to active practice in our life. God, as I have always prayed and will continue to do so, I pray for your words to speak and not my own. You know who I am and how I have nothing to say outside of who you are. So God, I pray for the hearts and minds of the people here in this place and who who may watch online or any of those type of places. God, I pray that you would open their hearts and minds and allow this to move them into a practice to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, in, in coming here, I was told. And if I wander or things like that, I don't know. I, this this is a comfortable place. I'll just stay right here, maybe. But uh, if I wander or whatever, or get too close to you, just let me know. Um, I was told, preach preach the sermon that you would preach if it was the one sermon you ever got to preach. Preach that sermon and keep it short. <laughs> Sorry. Which, by the way, none of your pastoral shepherds said that to me. It was somebody else. Um, Even my dad said kiffs, which if you're familiar with that old Bible college phrase is keep it simple, you know what. So in all of that, there's a letter that about 2020 that we're all familiar with that became paramount for me. And as I followed Jesus in a time where identity became a massive issue in our culture. Anybody agree with me that identity is a current issue? I won't go into the depths of identity or different things like that, but identity is a massive issue in our culture. And I was was just so happened to be during COVID and I was preaching online in Idaho. We were only shut down for one month. I know that's different in different places. And during that month, I would sit in my office all by myself with nobody else in the church, and I would record messages, and we'd started doing YouTube, like many churches, right? And, and as I went through, one of the, the letters that I went through was a letter to the church in Colossae by the Apostle Paul. And, and just really quickly, uh, just I want to read these, these first four verses as kind of a, a segue or something. And my effort today is to really wrestle with this question, who do we look like? Who is it that when people see us, not here in the church necessarily, but who do we look like? That's a massive issue in today when people walk around and they think they can determine what it is that they identify as or what it is that they they follow or these types of things. It's a massive issue to ask the question of ourselves. Who, if we say that we follow Jesus Christ... Do we look like the man that we follow? Do we look like him? Do we carry his character? Do we carry his heart, his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his compassion? Or do we look like other things? And the four verses that I'm referencing, and I'm going to kind of hit the whole book of Colossians, and and I'm trying to do this in in 25 minutes or so, Uh, so I can't promise that, but I'm going to try my hardest. But I love Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, which says, If then you have been raised with Christ... And to put that as kind of the apex verse in, in the book of Colossians, like everything leads up to it and then cascades from it. It's this apex verse, right? And, and it sits there kind of right, not quite in the middle. Don't go looking up and say chapters and verses it's Like, say, well, Pastor Matt, you were wrong because I'm not saying it's purely in the middle, but it's kind of the middle of the thinking there. It's a segue or a crescendo, if you will, something to focus on. And as you look through the book of Colossians, I love how, even going into verse, the very first place, Colossians shows Paul's heart for the body of Christ in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, which states, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. It's showing that the church in Colossae had this absolute love for the body of Christ that was beyond just those who they agreed with. Isn't that fascinating if you you take a quick snapshot of of all the letters in the the, uh, New Testament, right? And how how many letters does the apostle Paul write? Well, most of them. Right? He, he writes most of the letters in the New Testament. And most of the time when Paul has issues with people in the church, does he have issues with Greek non-believing people or Roman non-believing people or Jewish non-believing people? Or does he have issues with fellow believers? Quote, unquote, whatever. How many of you guys have had issues with fellow believers? Like everybody in the church, like, amen. <laughs> Today... She's my wife. No, no joke. <laughs> Bit of humor. And I love that because we all come from different backgrounds, don't we? Like in Idaho right now, we have massive background differences. We got people like my wife, not to call her out, whose family founded or part of the founding members of the town that we live in uh, going all the way back to 1920 in the township of Fruitland Idaho and then now all of a sudden we got people from your nick of the woods people a little south of people a little north of people who are east of us in Colorado and they're all just kind of converging on Idaho like it's the mecca like it's the promised land between us and Texas and Tennessee and some other places, Florida—not so much that one—but all these different places, all these people are just flocking to us, and they're running away from problems, aren't they not? Yeah, I'm, I know you guys have felt that. You've probably had family and friends, and those of you who are left here, and you've watched your family and friends escape to other places and things like that, and, and you go, what about here? And in some way, we see that in the church. We get people who they get down and out, they're going through things, but they all come from these different backgrounds. They're politically different, they're, they're sociologically different, they're even ethnically different from each other. But in the church, is it supposed to look like that? Well, the quick answer is no. And Paul actually establishes that, and I won't get to that yet. But he moves through this, this whole movement in chapter one and even says phrases, and you guys can look those up for yourself, but you know that where is, where is our identity rooted? Well, it's in the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Even the preeminence is just fact, uh, a fancy academic word that means first most, right? And you go through the rest of chapter one and he establishes what first most is. That Jesus Christ is first most of all of us. All creation, things seen and unseen, whether visible or invisible, and all things were done through him. There's right? this is supreme power. Go through the Old Testament and find the, the pre-incarnation, right? The, the before Jesus becomes flesh. You see Jesus in snapshots throughout the entire Old Testament. It's amazing. It's all about him. He comes and dies for our sins. Literally gives up of his life as innocent. Right? You guys just celebrate that a couple of months ago at Easter. We, we celebrate the resurrection of the Messiah and what it really was when he, off, when he became a substitute for, for what we deserved. Isn't that amazing? And then we become Christians and then we forget about it and we think that uh, the worship should look this way or, or we should do it this way or the church should do it this way or this thing or this thing. All the time, we read right through Colossians and we forget that Christ is preeminent, not Matt. Christ is preeminent. And then Paul beautifully moves into chapters 2, verses 6 through 8. It says, therefore, and and I'm even this morning going through this a little bit. Therefore, as you received Christ, as you accepted him as Lord and Savior, right? Right? It says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Which actually means to stay in step with, to follow in his steps. And I love that it says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That is, you walk among the road of Christ with one another. That it's all to be done in thanksgiving, to be firmly rooted in, in, in what you have been established and taught. And then he moves on a little bit further and goes in. So, and I find it fascinating. This is the next real section, right? Because I, I think if you look at today and you look at what's going on in culture, right? Wherever we live Idaho, Oregon, Washington, California, right? Which California is what, like a little hour, hour south of you? And I know the Northern Californians don't really claim the Southern Californians. And just like this area doesn't really claim what goes on towards Salem and Portland, right? And I get it. We don't claim what happens in Boise. Boise is its own little thing. But all of these things are non-issues for the Christian. Because see, in Christ it says, see to it that no one takes you captive by, and I love that he uses these words, because Paul's very specific, right? By philosophy and empty deceit. Philosophy is just an academic word for saying worldview. Right? So say worldview if you want. And empty t- deceit or lies, deception, according to what? Human tradition, how many times have human tradition started to become an issue? In the church alone, right? We don't even have to go outside the walls of our own churches to find that human tradition becomes a problem. We start worshiping man and not Messiah, right? According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Elemental spirits of the world can actually be broke down, uh, and I won't bore you with the Greek, but it really can be broke down to the idea of that which is educational in our world or which is led by elementary spirits, and not according to Christ. The whole point is to not be taken captive by things that make you less like Christ, and should focus on things that make you more like Christ. It's really, really simple, isn't it? Instead of place a litmus test... And every, every thought or every thing or every philosophy or every teaching that we see, and we should run that through a litmus test, is that does this make me more sanctified or more like the Messiah? Or does it make me less like the Messiah? We'll never be the Messiah. Amen? Amen. He, he does things that we can never do. And yet he's the one that says if you want to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, what? Forgive each other. And yet we have a hard time forgiving each other at times, don't we? Yet we're told to forgive each other. We're supposed to love our enemies. I'm sure, do you guys have enemies? Paul had enemies. We're supposed to love our enemies and we're supposed to forgive those who have trespassed against us. Why? Because we realize and every single one of us realizes the weight of the trespasses that we've committed, amen? We've all Trespassed. Nobody knows how guilty they are except for the person who stands there claiming their own guilt. And God, God knows how guilty you are. And Paul moves this entire thought process into chapter three with this apex statement again if then you have been raised with Christ, or to say, if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, pay attention to what's about to be said, right? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. So where's our vision, church? Is our vision here among the problems of this place? Is that where our vision lies? According to Paul, our vision's not supposed to be here among the problems in our own society. We have problems, and we as the church are tasked with standing up to those problems. Amen? Amen. Whatever those problems might be in a community. But our vision is to be firmly fixed on Christ, where He is seated. Set your, not only our vision, but set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are of earth, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. The great promise of all the muck and the stuff that we deal with here on this earth, that it's all temporary. And that not only is it temporary, but as we're, we're going to see today with this awesome baptism of Kelsey. Kelsey? Did I get that right? Okay. Uh, that it's, it's a marked moment of a change in a person's life. Right? She's abandoning the world and now wants to follow Christ and Christ alone. And she wants her entire life to look like the Messiah's. Now, is that going to happen overnight? No. I've been a believer for years. And there's still parts of my life, and I'm sure just like many of you, where you know the parts of your life that don't reflect the Messiah. But we look forward to that. Knowing that our life is hidden with our Messiah. It's protected in our Messiah goes on to verse 5, and it says, and I love that Paul very aggressive in his language, which is a, like a guy, I'm like, yeah, let's be aggressive with this language. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And there's a quick list here. I'm just going to run off this list. We're not going to sit here, and I don't want to extrapolate on this list all that much, but here's the list, and people can argue with it all day long. That's up to them. They have to stand before the Lord. Just like I do. Put to death what is earthly in you, and then he runs this list. In the ESV, it just says sexual immorality. That's a wide swathing statement, isn't it? Impurity, passion, which is not going to be passion in the sense of passionate preaching, but it's going to be passion in the sense of impure passion, evil desire and covetous, covetous, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming in these you too once walked when you were living in them. Now, that list can be summed up, and most of us say, well, I've never had a problem with this, that, or another thing, right? I've never had a problem with sexual immorality. I've never had a problem with impure thoughts, and, and, and praise God if that's true. But I love how Paul takes a list, and then he turns it on its head, and now I'm going to talk about everything that everybody's always had a problem with even those of us in the church, the things that we have a problem with, right? We might be able to pass off on most of that first list. Maybe not. I don't know you guys, and you guys don't know me, so I don't know where all of you guys have been throughout your life, but I guarantee you, bottom dollar, every one of us has dealt with this next list. But now, you must put them all away So not only put to death these things, but now put to death or put away all of these things. And then he runs through the list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Which is not just crass joking, but just obscene things that come out of your mouth. Everyone in the church gets silent on this part of the list. No matter what church I preach in, because everybody has been angry in the wrong sense. Everybody has wanted to take wrath into their own hands. Amen. Everybody. Maybe, maybe not everybody. People fall into slander, obscene talk from our mouth. And then continuing the list, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self that there's this old self of you, and every one of us knows that old self, right? And you've put that to death. Again, that's literally what's signified in baptism. Buried in death with Christ and rise new. And thank you, by the way, for allowing such a beautiful picture of what that is here today for me. I didn't know that was going to happen. That was cool. But buried and rise new. And now, you have a new self, which it actually says right here, which is great. Who in here wants the new self? Who in here is getting older, right, and is like looking forward to the body that never fades? Like, I'm only in my 40s, but I, I wake up with hip issues and knee issues and back issues and all sorts of things, and I'm only in my 40s. Some of you are like, I can't believe he's in his 40s. It's true. But you all know what I'm talking about. We've been given a new self now, not later. We've been given a new way of thinking, a new way of casting our 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 mind and our eyes upon our master, upon our Lord and Savior, and it's supposed to be different in us. Which is not to say it's supposed to be different in you, which it is, right? But I can't worry about him. I do. I don't know you yet, or maybe I do, and I just don't remember, but <laughs> it's been a few years. But I have to worry about what I reflect, and that list continues. it has been made in the image, or it's been in the, I'm sorry, let me just read it here because then I'm better and not going to commit a heresy, of the practice of, uh, and have been put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And then to encapsulate this before it moves on to what it is, what that new image looks like, what that new person is supposed to look like in all of us. He says, here, I love this. It, it breaks down all of the social groups are broken down in verse 11. Here, in this church, in Colossae, or in the church, in the ecclesia, the worldwide church, sorry, I'm trying not to use Greek, there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian Scythian slave free but what? but Christ is all and in all our new identity removes our culture it goes beyond our skin color our social background how much money, our economic backgrounds our political backgrounds it goes beyond all of it and the one unifier is Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not about where you came from. We've been dealing with that in Idaho. See, the California plates, they get rid of them quick. <laughs> all of a sudden, there's temporary plates in the back of people's windows. Man, it's fast, too. They're like, there one day, gone the next. I've been seen the same car in the same day, and like all this, no, I'm joking. <laughs> it all comes down to this significant question Who am I in the light of the Savior who bled and died for me and was resurrected from the grave three days later? Who is Matthew Phipps? Who are you? Is it really about what you think? Or have you been given something to attain or live towards? In a culture that is focused, ever so much, focused on the idea of getting to determine how they behave. And you've seen that person, right? Well, I'm just telling the truth. Yeah, but you're being a turd about it. You're being a jerk. You're being abusive in how you do it. Well, I'm telling the truth, aren't I? You can tell the truth and lose a convert. And I think that's way more egregious than telling the truth just for the sake of truth. And it's fascinating because you go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Paul establishes what we're to look like. And there's not a slide for this one. Oh, no, there is a slide for this one. Cool. I didn't remember if I put that in there or not. In the midst of all the things you're to put off and put to death, remembering that Jesus is preeminent, he's first place in your life, and not being taken captive by worldly things that are distracting you from Christ, not leading you to Christ, right? He says, put on then, and I love this list, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, holy and loved. Holy means set aside. Put aside for good work, according to the will of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And loved, beloved really brings the connotation of a deep, affirmed love for who we are. Not who we were, but who we we are in Christ, the way that Christ sees each other. Right? Not to get on the weeds. They're out in the weeds on that. But it's supposed to look like this compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Ooh, ooh, church, bearing with one another. Didn't know I was going to have that kind of reaction to that, but that's how the Holy Spirit works sometimes. Bearing with one another does not mean finding the person you agree with in the church and saying, I can bear with this guy. Right? Right? I can can bear with anybody if that's what it's supposed to look like, but bearing with one another follows the next phrase or goes before the next phrase and the next phrase says, bearing with one another and, by the way, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, and I I love the uh, the. The perfect way this is said, so you also can choose to forgive. No. You also must forgive. Why? Because you've been forgiven. And how dare us ever say that we will withhold forgiveness from a person when we know the depth of what we've been forgiven of by the blood of our la- Savior? Amen. Sorry, I'm around a lot of Baptists back home. <laughs> oh. And I could continue all day. I really could, because this, this is such beautiful writing. And so profound for us. But verse 14 really sums it up. And I don't mean to even get a little bit emotional about this, but verse 14 should be an anchor And above all of these, put on love. Not just love and the way that the world has looked at love, because we all know how messed up that is, right? But this is agapeo, love. The love that Jesus died for your sins with. How much he loved you. This is John 3.16 type of love and it's for this purpose which binds everything together in perfect harmony so in in relation to the question as as we we call this uh, back home I, I don't know if i put this on the next slide here so what about us this is i always kind of say what about you but i'm kind of toying with this idea. I I like changing this. So what about us? It it comes down to the simple question. I truly believe there's not seven points for you guys today. If so, then you guys would be buckling up or taking a nap. One thing. One thing to go home and look at this week. And, And I pray and hope that you do as I start to wrap this up today. What is my identity? What is my identity? What or who is a more important question? Who do I look like when I leave this place? When I go to work tomorrow? When I get around the people who have been distractions to me and and dragging me back into old practices, and, and, and when my wife and I get into a spat, what do I look like? When my children act like children act, and they wear on your last nerve and your last bit of patience, how do I respond to them? When somebody in the church says something rude to me, how do I respond to it? When that person cuts you off out here on Redwood Avenue or Redwood Highway, which there's a lot more traffic these days. <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed, right? You guys got a Red Robin I saw. That's cool. <laughs> what about you, you going to the restaurant? And your waitress is mean to you. Or she's having a bad day. What do we look like? And the, the list right here, we, we just have it up there, right? Sexually immoral, impure, passionate all those things. That's the world. Also put that, that's self. Those, you could all say those things are selfish things. And is the world not the most selfish place? Most unloving? Unkind? We've all dealt with probably some of those things on that list, right? Especially Slander. Anybody ever been slandered against? I have. Anybody lied about you, which is a form of slander as well. But anybody ever an evil desire towards you or want to hurt you? Not not necessarily like you know somebody overseas and our faith being tested in that way. Don't you love how real this is? You see why this has become my favorite book in the Bible how real is that? Do we look like the world? Do we look like self? Or do we look like Christ? When all those situations I just described, when when they all happen, we might have inclination to to go back into the self, right? But the Holy Spirit, if we have the Holy Spirit and you've you've been raised with Christ, something in you says, I need to be this list. I need to look like Jesus. i don 't know how the rest of the service goes, so i didn 't ask that question. So if I was supposed to say, if the worship is the worship team come up now, somebody, help me. So, so I guess I should have asked I asked for forgiveness for that. Uh, I think be ept if I can um, from your pastoral shepherds give me a nod of yes we're going to baptize one person if there's anybody else in here that is feeling the, the Holy Spirit call you and tell, tell your talk to you about how sinful you've been and how you are in need of a Savior who loves you who died for your sins we could, I, I don't know I, I would think it would be cool if we baptized more than one person today but if we baptize one that's good there's a party in heaven for every one of us that's baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So uh, would you guys rise as we sing this next song? Is that how the next thing works? So. How about we pray for another baptism? That's Yeah, let's, you want me to do that? You're going to do that? Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, God, we just uh, come before you, always extremely thankful and humbled for how grace works and how mercy, how the, you have mercy for us and uh, us sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We would ask that if there's anybody in this, this place today who is feeling you draw them in, that would that would know the knowledge of their sin and know that you have died for their sins, that they would come forward and, and place their life into your hands, that they would follow that and be be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that we would add one more member to the family of God today would be a, a glorious occasion. God, I, I pray again for just these, these words that you, uh, they were just of you and that you would use them and work in these people's lives um, as they not only uh, continue to fellowship with one another today, but as they continue to move forward into their week, that they would go out on their mission and seek and save the lost, which is our purpose. It's in Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.